Today is a rich day in the church calendar in which we remember those that have gone before. And these candles that are lit at the front of the table is a visible reminder um, that those that have gone before us are ever-present with us in this moment. So All Saints Day is a time where we remember. And the word remember means to re and to member. And as we remember those that have gone before us in the church, in our lives, uh, the saints uh, to some of us are parents, grandparents, aunts, uncles that maybe prayed for us, prayed us into the kingdom, uh, shared their faith with us. As we remember, we are remembered, that we are a part and we are members of the body of Christ. And so All Saints Day is a day that is celebrated across traditions around the world uh, for literally decades throughout the church. It was a practice that was instituted in the early church. And because we're at Asbury, I'm going to quote John Wesley. Amen. <laughs> is it all right to quote John Wesley in here this morning? All Saints Day, as I looked at Wesley's journals, All Saints Day was actually a holiday that Wesley loved. Uh, and he recorded uh, numerous mentions of All Saints Day in his journals. And I just want to give reference to several of these for us this morning and say, we can claim this as a part of our heritage. And the whole point of the idea of convergence is that we can reach back into the past and draw from the history of the church and draw from the heritage and history in order to be the church of the present and to reach forward to be the church of the future. So listen to the words of John Wesley in 1745 on All Saints Day. He said, being All Saints Day, we had a solemn assembly at the chapel. As I cannot but observe, we have on this very day for several years, surely right and dear in the sight of the Lord is the death of his saints. 1767, Wesley said again, being All Saints Day, a festival I dearly love. I could not but observe the admirable propriety which the collect, epistle, and gospel for the day are suited to each other. And so the collect in which he referred to came from the 1662 Book of Common Prayer. And I thought it appropriate to kind of open the sermon praying that same prayer that Wesley prayed on All Saints Day for us here today. So let us bow our heads and let us pray the prayer that Wesley himself prayed several hundred years ago. Almighty God, who has knit together thine elect in one communion and fellowship, in the mystical body of thy Son, Jesus Christ our Lord, grant us grace so to follow thy blessed saints in all virtue and godly living, that we may come to those unspeakable joys which thou hast prepared for them that unfeignedly love thee through Jesus Christ our Lord. Amen. Amen. I chose for um, today's text the Hebrews passage that we just heard. This is one of those uh, passages that I, I think always reminds me that we belong to uh, the large church, regardless of what tradition you're a part of, whether you're Methodist, Baptist, uh, Pentecostal, Charismatic, Catholic, whatever your tradition, that the book of Hebrews reminds us that we are a part of this great company of saints. The writer of Hebrews uses the word, the great cloud of witnesses. 
there's this idea that draws upon the Greek um, pantheon where they would gather together and um, join together and, and as the athletes would run the races. Uh, there's this imagery that the author brings to mind that we are running the race that is set before us, looking unto Jesus, but there's this great cloud of witnesses that surrounded us, watching us, even cheering us on and beckoning us forward in the race that we are running. There's a great reminder that we belong to a large church that extends beyond our own tradition, our own practices, but we can draw from all of the church, past, present, and future. So how many of you remember, many of us uh, this past year were watching um, anxiously the uh, the Olympic Games. In the Olympic Games, there's this geographic, people actually travel from all over the world to actually be physically present to the Olympic Games, wherever they are. But how many of you know through um, the technological breakthroughs that we have through media, through social media, and uh, our telephones, some of us are watching on our, our iPhones and our smartphones, uh, the races that are happening. And so uh, what this has provided is kind of a, a, a metaphor of what I believe the writer of Hebrews is talking about, this great cloud of witnesses. At the Olympic Games, there are those that are literally present. There are those that are close in proximity. There are those that actually live in that nation um, that are watching. But there are those of us, millions around the world, that are watching via uh, uh, live streaming television. We're able to watch. And so there's this idea in the book of Hebrews that the great cloud of witnesses is watching us today, that there are those that have gone on before, that these candles symbolize that people have poured into our lives, that women and men have gone before us. And I love the Hebrews chapter to set the context. Hebrews 11, to really fully understand Hebrews 12, we got to go to Hebrews 11, which is the great faith chapter. By faith, uh, it says this, that Abraham obeyed when he was called to go out to a place which he would receive as an inheritance. By faith, Sarah received strength to conceive and bore a child. We hear of other saints. By faith, Moses, when he was uh, to become of age, he refused to be called a son of Pharaoh, but chose rather to suffer the affliction with the people of God. And we go on, we hear these other uh, Old Testament saints that are brought into mind. And so this Pantheon, this, this great gathering of cloud of witnesses, spans the ages all the way back into the Old Testament. We see that through faith they subdued kingdoms, they worked righteousness, they obtained promises, and they stopped the mouth of lions. The great saints of the Old Testament, we can claim them as a part of our faith. Amen? We see also that as, uh, as we look into the New Testament, we see the apostles that walked with Jesus. We see the women. We see Mary and Martha. We see the women that were at the tomb when everyone else turned their back. They were the women that were there that came back as witnesses to the rest of the apostles. We're reminded in the book of Acts in, in the upper room that the apostles gathered to pray and to ask for the coming of the Holy Spirit. Throughout the book of Acts, we, we are reminded that uh, Paul is called in, who was formerly a persecutor of the church. Saul becomes Paul, and Paul becomes a mighty man of faith, and we can claim Paul too. We can claim Barnabas 
as one of those great saints, one of those members of that great cloud of witnesses. And we can look to the early church, the early fathers and mothers of the church that passed the faith on to the next generation. In many ways, this idea of uh, running the race that is set before us. The Bible is passed from generation to generation like a mighty baton in the race that is run. Amen? We have been given the Bible as a baton from the generations that have gone before us. We can claim Augustine and the city of God and the great writings from Augustine. We can claim Benedict and the rule of Benedict and the, and the wisdom that we can draw from uh, Benedict. We can claim St. Patrick and the Celtic saints that evangelized all throughout the north of England. One of the helpful things in Dr. Tennant's little book on global missions is a reminder that St. Thomas brought the gospel first to India. Went further than any other one of the apostles. We can claim Thomas as one of those great clouds of witnesses. But as we get into the Reformation era, there were those that uh, went before the Reformation. We can claim Wycliffe and Tyndall in their translations of the Bible to hand the Bible to ordinary women and men so that ordinary people could actually have access to the Scriptures and claim the Scriptures for ourselves. And so Robert Weber, who uh, is author of numerous books, coined the phrase ancient future, reminds us that we need to affirm our identity with all of God's people everywhere to recover from historic amnesia and discover our identity with the church. We belong to a great company of saints, he says. We can claim Augustine, Aquinas, Luther, Calvin. Yes, we can claim Calvin here at Asbury Seminary. We can claim Wesley, Moody as our ancestors. We belong to them and they to us. Together we are one in Jesus Christ. Brothers and sisters in the community of faith with Christ as our head, thanks be to God. Amen. The problem with so much of contemporary Christianity is we have historic amnesia. We lack a remembrance that there is a church that has gone before us. Christianity didn't just happen within the last 50 years with modern evangelicalism. But Christianity has been passed on faithfully from generation to generation throughout the ages. From Jesus to the disciples, from the disciples to the early church, and all throughout the ages, we belong to the church. So there's a Greek word that's used in reference to communion, amnesis, that there's this remembrance. When Jesus said, do this in remembrance of me, Amenesis draws on this idea that we're actually bringing the past into the present. This isn't some just dead, dry ritualism. We're actually drawing strength. We're standing on the shoulders of the saints who have gone before us so that we might run the race. None of us are here this morning because we came to faith by ourselves. Somebody poured into our lives Somebody shared Jesus with us. Someone had a testimony. There was a tradition that you were a part of. There are faithful men and women who have gone before us. And every one of us here this morning are standing on the shoulders of the saints who have gone before us. Amen? We can claim all of them. There are saints that are written in the Bible. There are saints that are written in the history of the church. But there are those saints 
that nobody remembers but you. Maybe there was a grandmother. I had two godly grandmothers that believed in me as a small child. And I, I got a little crazy in my, my high school age. I don't know, maybe, maybe you did too. I, that's part of my testimony. That's part of my story. I got out there a little bit. But I had two grandmothers that prayed for me. And each of them said, he's going to be a preacher one day. God's got his hand. I thought, these ladies are crazy. <laughs> what in the world? Well, guess what? God got a hold of my life at the age of 19. I came to faith sitting on a rock at a lake in Knoxville, Tennessee. I accepted Jesus and I joined the church, the church universal. And it was through the prayers of two godly grandmothers. It was the prayers of a godly mother who raised me as a single mother who prayed for me my whole life and trusted God to move in my life. Who's that person in your life? Who is the person that pointed you to Jesus, that prayed for you as a child or laid hands on you as a child? We all have a story and we need to own our stories. And our stories aren't our own, but are a part of the larger story. It's a part of history, His story, the story of God. The story that God's been telling from the very foundation of the world. The story that began uh, in the book of Genesis that continues onward even to today. So we need to remember, number one is my point, is All Saints is about embracing the church of the past. We can draw, we can claim the best of church tradition. But we also need to embrace uh, the present church, the church of the present. There are two major shifts shaping the church today. And I want to talk about those uh, because God wants us to be connected and to understand we're a part of a great, big, global family that's called the church. Amen? So in the last um, uh, 500 years or so, we, we, as we look to the pages of church history, much of church history has been written about the church in European churches of European descent. But one of the things that we are seeing is that beginning with the 20th century, the gravity of Christianity has moved from European and Western uh, outposts of society to the southward, to Africa, Asia, and Latin America. And the growth rate of global Christianity really is absolutely amazing and has grown in the last hundred uh, years to, million, to include millions of new believers that are being swept up into the church to better understand this phenomenon, let me give you a few statistics. In 1910, about two-thirds of the world's Christians lived in Europe, where a bulk of Christians had lived for a millennium. However, today, in about one in every four Christians live in sub-Sahara Africa, and about one in eight is found in Asia and, and throughout the Pacific. And the number of Christians around the world has nearly quadrupled in the last hundred years from about 600 million in 1910 to more than 2 billion in 2010. To say that you belong to the church means that you belong to the global church. Amen? And one of the great gifts, I think, of Asbury Seminary is that we are reminded of this, that we belong to a church that uh, is on, all around the world. And we belong to each other. And God's calling us in this day to work cross-denominationally, to work cross-geographically for the sake of the kingdom of God. There are still 2 billion people on the planet that don't know Jesus. 
And it is going to take in this day Christians working together for the sake of the gospel. John Stott, who's one of, one of my heroes of the faith, he said, we must be global Christians with a global vision because our God is a global God. Can I get an amen to that? The second major shift that's happening throughout the world, and it was a great privilege to have Cheryl Bridges Johns here yesterday. Who's a, she's an ecumenicist. She's also a Pentecostal scholar. Is the rise of Pentecostalism. Is a move, mighty move of the Holy Spirit that is shaping the face of Christianity around the world. In nearly 100 years, the Pentecostal movement has become one of the fastest growing movements among Christians on the planet. Pentecostalism is growing at a rate of 13 million a year, about 335,000 a day with nearly half a billion followers. There are Pentecostals in almost every denomination in every part of the world, including the Catholic Church. So this movement, this Pentecostal movement is characterized by a love for Jesus an openness to the person and work of the Holy Spirit, relying on the Holy Spirit to lead, to guide, to be empowered, to do mission. And it's also characterized with a heart for evangelism, a heart for the lost, and a heart for the poor. In many ways, the Pentecostal movement is growing the fastest among the poorest communities in the world. In other words, God is moving on the margins. God is moving not in crystal cathedrals, but is moving in the spaces and places of the world where many people are afraid to go. And it is Pentecostals, it is those who are receiving the power of the Holy Spirit that are going out into the name of Jesus to go into the highways, into the hedges, and to do what Jesus has called them to do. In the early 1900s, a Pentecostal movement was birthed in a barn in Azusa Street, California. And the leader was William Seymour, who was the son of emancipated slaves and was raised in poverty. And God chose this African-American preacher to lead a mighty move of God that would span the planet. Jesus was born in a manger. And the Pentecostal movement was born in a barn. I want you to hear the words of William Seymour in his reflections on the Pentecostal movement. We prayed that Pentecost might come to the city of Los Angeles. We wanted it to start in the First Methodist Church, but God did not start it there. I bless God that it did not start in any church in this city, but out in a barn, so that we might all come and take part of it. If it had started in a fine church, the poor colored people and Spanish people would not have gotten to be a part of it, but praise God it started here. God Almighty says He will pour out His Spirit upon all flesh. This is just what is happening here at Azusa Street. No instrument that God can use is rejected on the account of color or dress or lack of education. This is what God has built up through the work at Azusa Street. Can I get an amen? That is a beautiful picture of the church, and I think William Seymour is one of those great heroes of the Christian church. We can claim William Seymour, the son of emancipated slaves, the leader of the Pentecostal movement that started at Azusa Street, not at the first United Methodist Church in a fancy building, but in a barn. This is where God moves. God moves on the margins. If you want to know what God is doing, 
with the present church around the world, God is moving in the margins. God is moving among the poor. God is moving in the lives of those that want Him and need Him and call upon Him. And today I would that we would be hungry and have that same hunger and have that same humility. William Seymour said elsewhere, he said, the color line was washed away at the cross. And so when we come to the feet of Jesus, we're all a part of the church. Amen? There are no second-class citizens when it comes to the kingdom of God, but we will all gather around the foot of the cross. So All Saints is about remembering. It's about looking to church tradition. It's about looking to the great mothers and fathers of the church. But it's also about looking around and recognizing that we belong to the church of the present. And it's a diverse church. It's a church that encompasses the globe, the church of every color, every tribe, every nationality. The Bible tells us that every knee will bow and every tongue will confess that Jesus Christ is Lord of all. Jesus didn't just come to save one people group, one person, one color, nationality. But he came that all would believe in him. Amen. So what about the church of the future? The church of the future, what will it look like? What will it look like? Why don't you take just a moment to, to look around, look at the person next to you and say, you are the church of the future. You are the church of the future. God has called us here to Asbury. The baton has been passed to us. Asbury's vision from the very beginning was the whole Bible for the whole world. You have come here to be equipped as men and women to go out and do the work of ministry. There are some of you that are going to be church planters when you leave Asbury. There are some of you that are going to be pastors of churches. There are some of you that are going to go out and be missionaries. There are going to be churches that are started because of you. There will be people that will come to faith because of you. And because of your faithfulness for the wrestling and, and what you do here matters. God doesn't just bring us to seminary that we might stay, but we come here that we might go. We're a community called, is one of the, the phrases that we refer to the Asbury community. We are a community that is called. We're called to the nations. We're called to go back out into the world. There are some of you that will go back to your nation of origin. There are some of you that will, God will call to go to a place that you don't even know yet. There are some of you that the Lord will call to the margins, to the poorest of the poor. There are some of you that God will call to places of persecution, places of civil unrest, places of mass secularization. But we all have to be faithful to the call to go out and to follow Jesus. So I want to kind of wrap up with an encouragement from the writer of Hebrews. First, we're encouraged that there's this great cloud of witnesses. But the writer goes on to say, lay aside every weight and sin that does so easily beset us. So today, as we get ready to close in prayer, are there things in our life that we need to lay aside that we follow Jesus more nearly, more closely, more dearly in our life? Secondly, 
Let us run the race that is set before us. There is a charge that has been given that we might run the race. There's a baton that has been passed down from generation to generation. It's the Holy Bible. It has been passed from the martyrs. This is a book that has been written with blood of the martyrs. Men and women have died for their faith that we might have access to this holy word, this sacred text that we can claim as the Holy Bible. So I want to encourage us to run the race. But lastly, we don't do it in our own strength and our own power, but we look unto Jesus, the author and the finisher of our faith. Amen? We lift up our eyes and we look unto Jesus who has gone before us. He is the one that calls us forward. He is the champion of our faith. I'm going to end with a little another Methodist ditty for, for, for you Methodist people. <laughs> this is the Methodist pocket hymn book from 1790 that Asbury helped compile to give to the Methodist circuit rider preachers. And we sing this hymn many times. This is a hymn that Charles Wesley wrote, A charge to keep have I, a God to glorify. A never-dying soul to save and fit it for the sky. To serve my present age, my calling to fulfill. And may it all my powers engage to do my Master's will. We have a charge this morning, brothers and sisters, that the saints have passed down to us. Those that have gone before us are looking down from heaven and they're cheering us onward to move onward in faith we're writing the new faith chapter with the lives that we're living. A charge to keep have I. We have a charge to see and to serve our present age. Let us pray. Lord, we bless you and thank you for your love for us, God. We thank you this morning for the great heritage and history that you have passed on to us from the saints that have gone before. We remember them. We stand on their shoulders this morning, Lord. We acknowledge and affirm that we are a part of the global church. Not just the church in Wilmore, not just the church in Kentucky, not just the church in the United States, but we belong to the church in Africa, the church in Asia, the church, Lord, in South America, the Lord, the church all around the world. We stand with our brothers and sisters, especially those that are uh, suffering in, in nations where there is persecution. We stand with them this morning. And then lastly, Lord, raise us up to be the church of the future. I pray for those this morning that you have stirred maybe in their hearts. There's some that are going to plan a church. There's some that are going to be a part of church planning. There's some that are going to go in and revitalize and remissioning a church. And Lord, there are others that are just going to go to the parts of the world, Lord, into places that they have never been before. We stand on the shoulders of your saints. God, send us out to be your hands and feet, to be your missionaries into the world. We pray all of this in Jesus' name.